time for the Renewable Energy Hour. Good evening, Southern Humboldt, Western Lake, Northern Sonoma, and most of Mendocino County. I'm Doug Livingston. This is the Renewable Energy Hour, and joining me in his generous capacity as guest co-host, Chris Love. Hey, Chris, how are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. How about yourself, Doug? Pretty good. We've both been busy as can be and, and realized it had been quite some time since we gave the listeners much time to call in, so we're going to be opening up the lines to an all-listener call-in show as we try to do at least several times a year. Um, and if you've got ideas, issues, questions, comments, interesting technology you've read about recently about renewable energy, you want to talk about expanding your system or troubleshooting your existing system, those are welcome too. So anything related to renewable energy, you're welcome to give a call and see if we've got a strong opinion about it. Um, the number to call is 895-2448. Not that 2233 number, but 895-2448. Um, if you don't know that 895-2233 number, maybe you missed our pledge drive. And we, we came pretty shy. This is the shyest we've been for quite a few years, I think, on a goal. Uh, and this was a goal that was really pretty stretched for real that we sort of need this to operate. And so they're going to have to do something to bump it up. They're going to have to do something extra before the end of the year, I think. So if if you were uh, just lackadaisical and you're, you're someone who can and are willing to donate to the station, please consider going to the website kzyx.org and hitting that donate button to help us get a little further along toward our goal. I think their goal was $100,000 for this pledge drive, and we only got about seventy. And that's a far cry from what they figured their needs were. And I hope that doesn't bite into their current expansion of the local news. Um, anyhow, I want to encourage people who can to do. Uh, clearly, uh, my guess is that a lot of people are tighter on budget because of inflation and specifically, you know, food and gas and housing and budgets are tighter. So I'd particularly ask the people who are more comfortable to consider giving more than they normally would. Consider it anyhow. Anyhow, welcome no, to the... I, I, I recommend the the supporting membership, you yeah. know, I throw down $20 a month and that's up from my original 10, you know, years ago. And that's what I recommend people do. Um, cause it makes it a little simpler than just, you know, a, a lump sum payment. Yeah. It's easier on your, your monthly budget and it's actually easier on the station's budgeting because instead of huge amounts coming in twice a year, they have a known quantity coming in on a monthly basis, so it's easier for them to do their budgetary planning. As yeah. as an ex as an ex board member, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. If you can afford it, please consider it. 
kzwax.org and there's a big red donate now button or donate button up at the top right corner uh, and it's real easy to do anyhow uh, back to the renewable energy hour um, we're open lines tonight so if you've got a troubleshooting question or a fascinating new technology give us a call 895-2448 um, Chris, you had a few things that you didn't think we fully fleshed out in our previous shows. We can fill in while we're waiting for somebody to warm up their dialing fingers. Um, yeah, and it does kind of cross, you know, a couple of shows because we've, you know, we've done some some dives on some batteries and storage options and, and AC and DC coupling options versus, you know, grid tied versus off grid. Um, Large versus small. Yeah, and particularly with the batteries, you know, about open loop versus closed loop, and that, you know, because we're dealing, say, with, you know, lithium technologies, in general, most of us, you know, that have spoken on the show would recommend the lithium iron phosphates because they're much safer. At at least on larger batteries. I mean, if you're a tiny off-grid system and and on a tight shoestring budget, I would disagree that, that... we necessarily want to immediately jump to lithium ion. Correct, and and I'm and I guess you know I didn't kind of qualify that statement by saying you know if, if somebody wants to go with a more advanced battery that you know in all likelihood is going to be more dependable for a longer period of time, and really has the budget to look at you know how they're going to save money over a you know five, ten, twenty year period by choosing that technology rather than maybe replacing batteries every five or ten years if they're lucky enough not to kill their lead battery. Uh, I know. Pe- so I know. easy to do. When, when, <laughs> I, when I used to teach back before lithium ions were common and people would ask me how long do batteries last and they were thinking exclusively lead acid back then, I would say somewhere between 30 seconds and 20 years. Yep. Yep, and I have chosen to repeat that to my clients because it is absolutely true. And and 30 seconds is, you know, and it it includes a certain amount of time that it takes for somebody to connect the last battery cable. We we have multiple callers, so let's come back to this and let the callers take over. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, Speaking of renewable energy for a radio station, a couple of other options for people who don't have access to a computer are to send a check to KZYX. Hey, there you go. P.O. Box 1, Philo, California. Box 1, Philo, P-H-I-L-O, California, 95466. Awesome. Or to call radio station during business hours and ask for Renee. The number is 707-895-2324. So anyone who is listening, this is the time to help to renew the energy of the radio station that you listen to. (laughs) Good line. And thank you for pointing that out. There's more ways than one. That's right. But we and don't. No but, good excuse not to. But we don't have other that. Other than not having money. We don't have that pledge line open anymore. But no. Yeah. Right. The, but that, there's plenty of there's other options, and 
it's always a good idea to donate to KZYX. I agree with you. But thank you for the show. Hey, thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Well, we had multiple other calls. We had the lines filled there for a moment. So, other callers, please call back. Yeah, there is one thing I'd like to mention about the KZYX and, you know, pledging is that if we look at the news team, which, you know, has been rebuilt, you know, and does cost money and that people are taking this seriously and doing it as a job, is that if if people are reading some of the local online news, uh, quite often some of the larger articles that are more hit, hard-hitting and really consequential to our local issues are written by Sarah Reith of the KZYX Newsroom mm. and syndicated on those sites. Wow. Uh, I, I, just, I hadn't caught that. I know that uh, KZYX interacts with a number of the local online news folks, but I thought it often went the other way where we would pull from them and and they would join us on on Alicia's local news show on what Friday mornings. Here's another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. So I'm back to the uh, lithium uh, batteries that you were start you started talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have the pleasure of switching about eight months ago from worn out lead acids to brand new twenty four volt um, lithium uh, ferrous phosphate. So it <clears throat> it's quite a difference psychologically. No. No filling cells with water and all that. So, can you just give us a the simple, straight um, procedure to how much care these need, what attention they need, and is there such a thing as um, 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 the word I'm it's slipping away here? The uh, you know uh, charging to uh, boost up like you would do with the lead acid. Oh, you mean equalizing. Equalizing. No, Such no, never. On, a- on, these, on these phosphates. Never equalize a lithium ion. Never equalize even a sealed lead acid battery. Okay. Um, uh, and in fact, Chris, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, my general impression from lithium ion is you probably shouldn't even charge them full, full. You should, you know, take them up to 95% and... And there's a certain shutdown level in your battery monitoring system. Um, On the charge that, controllers? No, that's built into the, the battery. The battery itself. built into the yeah. battery itself that you certainly right. don't want to go below. But without knowing what what brand of batteries and brand of other equipment, we can't go much further than that, Chris. That's assuming that it's a certified battery, you know, that it's actually passed some kind of, you know, national safety measures. At a, well, know. they're 24-volt they're um, Simplify. Simplify. They're a decent yeah. quality brand. They're UL-listed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they the use quality charging, cells. The charging equipment is Outback. Um, How old is the Outback stuff? Well, it's 10 years old. Um. So is it, is it a Radian or is it a GVFXR? It's probably a, it's probably a VFX. Yeah, is it one big gray box or is it two you know black shapely items? Yeah, they're 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 black shapelys. So you you okay. you've probably got an Outback uh, MX charge controller and a and a VFX inverter. Um, and depending on how old they are. 
uh, Simplify is more comfortable with some of the newer software um, versions of those pieces of equipment, but they can work with it, but you need to program it pretty conservatively. Did you did you check out Simplify's recommendations on how to program Actually, your equipment? I didn't, I didn't do the in, the installation. It was done by a an, a you know professional installer. Okay. okay. Um, and he programmed it up. I hope he's mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. he's worth his his salt. Correct. I, I, I yeah, because you definitely do want to be more conservative, particularly on the older equipment, because that those. Those particular outback inverters, you can't upgrade the software in those inverters, mm-hmm. or um, you know. So it's it's a little bit limiting. So the advancement, the charging algorithms and such, you know, doesn't really work. Well, one, one so of the one of the, following the integration guide with the battery manufacturer is critical. Yeah, you consider uh, going to Simplify's website and looking at their recommendations for programming and make sure that. The, whoever installed it for you programmed it in a reasonable way and to particularly check the warranty documentation because the warranties usually have one or two or three tiers and those are very particular towards what those charge limits are set at and also how low you will take them Um, these batteries may be able to go to zero but that doesn't mean you'll get your warranty out of them if they fail yeah how do how do they Determine that is the BMS recording these things. Yes, okay. yeah, the BMS is at this point, and the quality batteries they're tracking the temperatures, everything, and so there's you know the max temps are what they're most concerned with, but they're also now some manufacturers are going after average temp and how the battery is maintained. So this is one of the key things is that we tell people it needs to be insulated around here because we get cold enough to get outside of that charging temperature. And most of the battery manufacturers want to shut those batteries down at 32, even if they're not charging, even though they say they can discharge to zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And so there's some limitations with warranties. Some of the batteries won't allow you to work outside of, you know, ambient, what you would consider ambient home temperatures. Indoor temperatures, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, okay. and if well, you go outside I'm, of that, it's violation of the warranty. So there's a broad spectrum, but I think Simplify is pretty rugged with their warranty. This is uh, I'm two miles from the coast, and uh, it's in a uh, a bo- insulated box of one and a half inch uh, foam uh, tightly around it, and our typical wintertime temperature lows. Uh, it's unusual to get into the low 30s even. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, and so with a box like that with lithiums, I would generally, you know, recommend having a cross-flow vents in that box and maybe even on the top so that it can vent its heat should the batteries heat up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Where you're kind of doing the opposite, where the lead acid, we would build a box and then put, you know, piping with an inline fan to evacuate the hydrogen. Generally not necessary you know, that kind of thing, because there's no off-gassing now. Right, but but, but, but you'd like to be able to get to rid of heat. Somewhere, yeah, and the, and the insulation will keep, you know, keep that, you know, mitigated. Did you name a specific type of vent when you said that? Um, no, not necessarily. You know, usually I, w- I would make sure that it's got some tight screen on the back so you don't invite spiders and mice and such. 
but oftentimes just, you know, the hardware store has some nice louvered vents that you could use or something like that, or even yeah. like the round soffit vents. That you could use a, um, a hole saw and just pop them in the hole kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Something and, really simple. And, and, and you recommend solid. you recommend one down low and one up top? Uh, yeah, at least. And if you're doing the small soffit ones, then I would probably go with, you know, several two inches or a couple three inches and then the same thing on the other side, but up higher. But this also mm-hmm. assumes that you're using the battery at high rates of charge and high rates of discharge, which he may not be. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean... It's hard to say. Batteries that are built with small cell formats um, have a higher rate of failure per kilowatt hour. And so knowing when you've gotten one of those cells that may have been contaminated, you know, just I think managing heat with these is kind of the key towards elongating their life. So if you're whether it's a high charge rates or not, I would still probably tend towards, you know, managing, allow and, you know, Helping make sure the ambient temp in that box never gets above 80 degrees if we can help it. Because it just stimulates holding the heat more. Should something start to fail, more heat that it gains, the faster it starts to fail. It's just an ever-accelerating curve. uh, How much impact will ambient temperature influence the temperature inside the insulated box? Is it strictly a situation of what heat the battery produces? It's what heat, what temperature the battery is at that matters, and and it can generate a lot of heat internally, which was what Chris was just worrying about. But mm-hmm. if it's hardly being used at all, and you're really well ventilated and see a several day below freezing spell, that could be a problem. Yeah, well, several days below freezing here would be a problem. Oh, well, yeah, it, it happens once every 20, 30 years. Yeah, it, it does get once in a while. Yeah, you okay. all get, maybe even get snow. Oh, well, yeah, about 25, 30 years ago, there was <laughs> snow. Well, we, well, you guys got down to like 14 degrees once in the late 80s. Oh, I wasn't here for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and just speaking, since you're two inches for, or two miles from the coast, not inches, um, my biggest concern for your system would be corrosion, just in general. Yeah, salt, the, salt you know, air. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're not going to have the same issue that the lead acid could have, but terminals can still corrode on any surface of metal that's contacting another metal that's not like it. And that's that's the main concern for uh-huh. coastal systems. I've seen a lot of rotten coastal oh, systems. Yeah. Where so keep the, it. the boards and the inverter rot. You know, the solar rack is rotting. All of that. So, uh-huh. although two miles in, it's not nearly as bad as right above the breakers. Right. Would be different. <laughs> I I I had a troubleshooting job in Mexico on the coast for a gringo's vacation home and. I said, "Well, what's not working?" He said, "Well, what is?" And <laughs> and, yeah. and ouch. And and uh, the system was actually working. It's just the three quarters of the loads weren't working. Yeah. And his his Romex wiring had corroded away. Mm-hmm. You know did where? Did he put it in a conduit? Nope, he didn't put it in a conduit. It was just the exposed, you know, copper attached to the lighting fixture or the light switch or the plug that had corroded mm-hmm. away. 
Okay, gotcha. well, thank you, gentlemen. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Good, good, good luck with those. Those, okay, those, those are great batteries. Treat them well. I'll try. Bye. Oop. Just as I dropped that one, another caller dropped off. Here's another one coming online. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, thanks for the program. Great topic. Uh, it brings up the old, the age-old problem of ventilating and insulating at the same time. Yep. When you're trying to insulate, you try to preserve the ambient heat inside a container, and when you ventilate, that ambient heat escapes out into the atmosphere. Uh, and it, it seems to go true with uh, the age-old lead batteries and the modern batteries, too. And, and what's the solution to the contradiction? I don't. You're also, I, I have a problem. I don't have a solution. <laughs> You you are also conserving you know the lack of heat in certain instances as well you know that it, it works yeah, both ways and it's really it's really cold and your your vents are open and uh, you're trying to keep your battery warm at the same time and yet some uh, fresh air uh, around it uh, to you know get get some ventilation anyway it's 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 uh, uh, again I don't have a solution it's a conundrum. Yeah, I think, you know, re reducing the CFM's potential, you know, that's cubic feet per minute potential is, um, you know, probably the best you can do in the cooler times. And, and so it doesn't get quite so cool. Yeah, and, for, and, and during the, the charge and discharge process, the battery itself generates some heat, and right. especially with the modern batteries, I, I think the discharge, even uh, heat, uh, you know, being produced probably helps a little bit. Well, in, in David, in your... And yours and my experience, the the bigger issue was batteries getting too cold, and right. and and I always used to giggle about, you know, the the insulated battery bank that was massively ventilated, because the insulation isn't going to do you much good if all your windows are open. Yeah, um, the, yeah. Now the lithium batteries uh, have a. Uh, a temperature parameter that they're supposed to operate under, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I, I know that their parameters in, in terms of charge and discharge and, can, and can change quite a bit in terms of the amount of heat produced from the battery itself. And and they right. and they don't uh, need venting of gases, which the lead acid did, and so you've you've got a little bit of war between how hard are you using these batteries and how cold do you get. And yeah. the, the colder well, you hey, get, I'm the... Here, so um, thanks for the great show. All right. Yeah, the... yeah one one detail that is in the, in the winter and the fall time, in early spring, we're going to be running generators more often. And so that is some of the hardest charging the, yeah. the yeah. new lithiums are going to see during the year. We're charging them up in, you know, two to maybe max three hours for a slow lithium or slow LFP. Um, see so that's I, a lot of heat generated there. See if I get a dial tone on this one. No dial tone. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I wonder, I'm a little off topic. Could you t tell us what happened with the um, PG&E uh, PUC situation? Uh, nothing yet. Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, we, we are... We are Watching and anticipating another move very soon, although I heard hints that it's been pushed back again the next time they try to come at us with the anti-solar rules. They've been, uh, they've tried three times in the past year to 
put in place some ridiculously regressive rules on people with privately owned grid-tied solar, and public outcry has apparently shut them down those three times, and they're ready to try again soon. But Well, good for the, good for the people who shut them down. Let's see if it happens again. And, Thank you. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I want to take some credit for that. We had a couple of shows on that that helped with at least a couple of those shutdowns. Because I'm mm-hmm. sure. Solar... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I, solarrights.org. Solarrights.org is a great website for anyone curious about what that caller was just talking about. Go to solarrights.org. That's a great website. And, and in fact, one of our guests was their executive director. Um, yep. But, Which I wasn't around for, and I give thanks for having that, too, because just even as a professional, it's informative. I mean, we're in this all the time, and it's just there's so many edges and details to the whole, how this all actually works all the way up to, you know, massive, you know, utilities and Cal-ISO and other states, and it's a very complex situation and where the, where the money goes and what the economics are going to look like in the future. And where the lobbying comes from and the influence comes yeah. from. The people still have some influence. It's not just the industrial lobby. Yeah. 895-2448, if you've got any topic, as she apologized saying she was off topic, she was spot on topic because the topic is renewable energy. It doesn't have to be about lithium-ion batteries. But that's what, that's what we happened to have started off with, and that's what got us rolling. And we, yep. can, and we can go back to them in the absence of another call. Chris, did you, yeah. did you have more you wanted to say about... Uh, well, there's definitely some interesting issues that I've been hearing from several different installers. Um, one who I really look to, who, you know, he, he just really taps into what's happening in the broader industry and some of the fires that have been happening. And and there was another caller who was talking about a project in Nevada that he was helping on. Um, and uh, this engineer, Dr. Oh God, is it Dr. Goodhouse? I not remembering the name, his name off the top of my head. Uh, who's talking about the failure rate with these ion batteries. And, um, and is it high? It's, yeah, it's over one percent of the, and we're primarily what that focuses on is the small cell formats. Rather, you know, many of the manufacturers going to the larger formats now because they can spend the money to test them very deeply. Well, one percent sounds pretty small, but that's early on. I gather that's a lot. That's you know when in but this early, kind of early, industry, early on. I mean, of, of thermal runaway. And oh, okay. So, yeah, thermal runner. Yeah. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Well, we have, yeah, and that's lithium iron phosphates. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we have a patient caller waiting in the wings. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, good evening, guys. How you doing? All right. Let's talk PV modules for a moment. All right. Okay. So um, I really noticed during the heat waves uh, that we had this summer that my modules efficiency dropped big time big time big time oh yeah and so my question is why are they putting solar farms in deserts and how do they compensate for the temperature differentials say on the pv modules on the space station 
or craps in space. Well, and, and they are indirectly in the sunlight. Is there something they, they get about, about those modules they, that we're not getting on our home versions? No, the ones the ones in the desert here on Earth are probably pretty similar to the ones you've got. Although they might be a cadmium telluride chemistry, which is a little less vulnerable and highly toxic. And, and they often just add a little bit more solar to get the numbers they want right. under certain conditions. Well, and they can always taper them back. They add a little more solar in in series, not necessarily more solar total. Uh, the, in general, the amount that you lose due to that decreased efficiency because of the heat is not as much as the amount you gain because you get more sun in the desert. That's the primary motivator. So, uh, okay, so the solar gain outweighs the loss of efficiency. Exactly, of the heat. exactly. Okay. And, and, the, pro- the, and the property's cheap, and it's close to L.A. and Phoenix. and Okay. Um, but uh, but the, stuff, the stuff up in space is actually often different, but that's mostly a just ridiculously higher efficiency that costs ridiculously, ridiculously more because it costs so much per pound to lift stuff into space. It's worth paying for higher efficiency panels that weigh less per watt. But they don't have the heat issue that, that we have down in the desert here because they're only getting about 30% more sun. They're, yeah, only, and they're only getting about no thirty. Atmosphere. They're only getting about thirty percent more sun up there because there was no atmosphere, and their backside is pointed toward three degree Kelvin. That's what negative uh, five hundred and fifty degrees Fahrenheit space. So that they are pretty easily cooled. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Lost that collar. Callback collars. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, uh, I, uh, due to COVID and a bunch of surgeries, I finally got a vacation after four years and went down to the Cabo area, visit some expats down there, and they're ready for solar. Is there any issues with doing the solar in the Mexico? I've been an installer for years up here, so. Uh, no, I've actually done some jobs in Cabo. I did a gringo yoga retreat center. That's one of the larger yeah, you guys didn't off-grid systems that, I, I did. brought it up to ask. Um, well, just throw it. They don't want to go with the grid tie and the battery backup, the off, you know, the standalone system. So what, just uh, throw in a, a solar-ready panel and hook it in that way? Or Oh, you're talking about doing grid tie? Yeah, well, yeah, they're going to be on the grid. But yeah, they well, uh, Mexico, Mexico does grid tie. Oh, okay, they do. Okay, good, yep. good. Yep, Um well, I'm not sure they want to do it. And what with, with the, uh, is it the same issue as far as PG&E, like requiring certain brands of inverters and panels? And- they're, they're probably not as strict. I haven't looked at what their rules are recently, but they're probably not as strict. Um, uh, although they may follow in lockstep. It's not just PG&E. There's, there's a national standard for doing grid tie. Um, right, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and California has you know one notch above that. It's not PG&E. It's it's a it's a California agreement. But uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't imagine that they may they may not be working with Rule Twenty One specifically yeah. with everything on the residential level or small commercial level. But they they may be working on it. 
They, they may, may be moving that direction. Uh, yeah, the, the the Rule 21 requires, you know, constant reactive load, help to the grid and things like that but uh yes, smart solar inverters they they simply. didn't they didn't used to need this and i wouldn't be surprised if mexico is still on the the didn't used to need this standard but i'm not sure off the top of my head so how about just putting micro inverters in and tapping it into the main panel and well, keeping it yeah any of the modern micro inverters you know of a decent known brand probably already satisfy even rule 21 yeah and do it that way and keep it simple for them yeah because they don't want to spend a whole lot so yeah yeah uh, part of the reason people uh expat to uh, third world countries because they don't want to have the money or for their retirement thanks for your help sure enough take care bye-bye 895-2448 if you want to join the topic of renewable energy, whatever it is. We've talked about, what, lithium-ion batteries donating to the station. Um, what are the rules in Mexico? Batteries donating. <laughs> hey, caller, you're live on the air, and you just turned that radio off before I asked. Yep, uh, I've done some shows with you guys before. Um, hey, Doug, it's Alden. Hey, I'm Alden. I wondering if you could talk about um, uh, upcoming battery technologies, if there's any technologies that you see coming down the pike that might, uh, might replace lithium in the next couple of years. Cause as I understand it, lithium is a 1980s technology that was laboratory then, but is, you know, sort of the, the prime thing now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, maybe talk about the, uh, the molten sodium. If, if you, if you possibly could. I molten sodium. Hey, uh, Chris, do you know about molten sodium? Well, my understanding is that molten sodium is more of a solar thermal uh, method, or you know, any kind of thermal storage. It, it's it's a it's a it's a phase change. All right. Um, so <laughs> my I, understanding, it, uh, Alden, did were you thinking that they were a actual electrical battery? So I have been reading about them being uh, electrical batteries that uh, that use the the heat difference uh, to be able to generate. I'm I'm assuming they're using uh, um, no they're they're using the heat to turn water to steam to turn a steam turbine. Oh, that's how they're doing it. I'm so I oh no there are. I've been reading about no, one no, no. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing actual electrical batteries and not not thermal steam generators. That's that's what I had thought. I had I read an article oh, about two months ago that was talking about using using them as uh, and it is it is there is a thermal component where you heat them up with the solar and then as the the as you stop charging them and they start to discharge. That the that as the heat disperses, that that is somehow able to fill back in and uh, generate power on the backside. And I've heard they're super super efficient. I mean, it's never going to be in your cell phone or something, but uh, I was I was hearing that they might be you know ready for grid scale at at some time in the near term future. But aside from the molten sodium, I was wondering what you guys had heard about uh, any battery technology that's coming. 
down the line that we might be seeing well, in the near term there, there are a bunch and, of uh, there are a bunch in the works and actually we were talking about some of them right before the show um uh i'm i'm nervous that the well except this looks like it can be a fairly small scale i didn't realize uh that the thermal molten sodium could be done on such a small scale. They're talking about its earliest applications being in the V-1 and V-2 rockets that Hitler used to bomb England. Oh, wow. Um, that was not yeah, where so, I thought you were going. <laughs> I mean, as, a, as another, you know, another couple technologies is, you know, um, there is other lithium stuff that's in the works, and I think is very likely to come. And the chemists have run the numbers and that, you know, the lithium sulfur chemistry, which is actually a graphene silicon is the other two elements in it, takes it to a level where we're dealing with elements that are very, very available in the crust of the earth, totally. rather than dealing with these, you know, the, the metals that are hard to get. That's kind of one of the problems with some of this well, stuff. Is, I'd, you I'd know, let, like I'd, fuel I'd, cells, we need a lot more platinum metals than we have available. I, I'd like to get away from the cobalt and the lithium chemistries, but that's one Absolutely. of the things... I was, I was just going to say, cobalt is not super humanitarian friendly. Oh, it, yeah, yeah or, or, we really do need a better traction battery than the nickel metal cobalt and the nickel-cobalt-aluminum chemistries. What you find in the Tesla cars and most other cars on the planet that are electric have a cobalt component. And some some storage batteries for homes have this as well. Um, now, I thought but, the nickel-magnesium-cobalt, the NMCs, those are the ones with the highest thermal runaway. They got the highest... I had, like, uh, I had thought that, density. too, but Chris says that's not the case. Um, but aren't those the ones? That no, are that's in the I, we we must have a misunderstanding, Doug, because they they are definitely one of the more dangerous. Yeah, I I always thought that that the cobalt ones. I I thought yeah, I so heard the, you say he is. What we we may have misunderstood is the the cobalt is what keeps them stable, and that as you reduce the amount of cobalt in an NMC or an NCA battery, the more likely they are to become unstable and totally uh, run away on their own without uh, contamination at the cell it. level. They're just not stable. So uh, they're trying to reduce it, and Tesla has reduced it. And, and then they catch on fire. Fight. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it was still an issue. No matter how much cobalt you put in them, they're, they're, they have the potential to be unstable. So, so, there's, so that's it's, specifically it's to the NMC chemistry. Yeah, and, and still... You know, today, so far, the studies we have from the fire marshals yet, which are not as thorough as gas vehicles, are indicating that per mile, electric vehicles are catching fire far less than gasoline vehicles. But gasoline vehicles don't often go off in your garage where the EVs are a little bit more likely to go off when you're home. But they, a gasoline vehicle can still catch fire when it's off. Yeah. All by itself, just yeah. from an electrical issue. They have electrical, so... And that's, that's only while... That it's always risky. That's only while it's charging at a high rate. Yeah, and, and and the key thing people should remember, this is electricity. It's fire in the pipe. We have not yet found how to eliminate all fires associated with any type of electricity. We have found ways to manage the risks and mitigate them such that they are not what we would consider hazardous, but they're not what we would consider intrinsically safe. We have that more on the computing side 
when batteries aren't involved, you know, with your 24-volt DC and stuff like that. But these things will pop, and they generally won't burn your house down, even if they're not UL certified. Mm-hmm. But they still do have safety certs. So just to lay out the horizon for everybody, that electricity comes with risks, no matter what you're using. On that cheery note, hey, how about some? How about some other? <laughs> some other chemistries outside of the lithium-ion category I, of battery. I think That's that, what I'm you know, Eric called last week uh, during our show and mentioned the nickel hydrogen battery that has been getting used in satellites and in space travel here, not just by the United States and the European Space Agency for what looks like about 40 years and that they've had, they have tried to make these batteries catch fire and they don't catch fire under what looks like any condition. And that the, you know, this is a proven technology, but it's always been really expensive because it was built for space to be the lightest possible thing. And that it's not likely going to find its way into EVs, but for stationary storage, you know, we're considering, you know, batteries with twenty to 30,000 cycle life that can, you know, charge and discharge and back to charge 20 or 30,000 times and could yeah. not be scary to put in your garage or inside your home even, and they don't off-gas. And a company has gotten a lot, a lot of money in the last few months and the hundreds of millions and are, you know, there's a lot of confidence behind that, that these batteries could come out maybe in the $500 per kilowatt hour range, which is half of the really good quality LFPs that are sold today. You know, you could get an LFP for $250 a kilowatt hour, but I'm not sure I would trust that battery. Like I wouldn't suggest it to a client and say, Hey, this is a good bet. You know, I've because I've got good bets and I've got best bets, and the best bets always cost more money. Totally. You know, you're going to pay more because they've put more into well, it, and there's more proof. Uh, how about the the, how about the uh, salt batteries? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, it sounds like you know my main question would be the efficiency on turning the heat back into the electricity electricity because that's always been the lower efficiency side of that conversion, you know, heat, heat from electricity is pretty darn efficient. Um, so that, that's, that's Hell, my I, question I, without I, having looked into it. Oh no, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the, the molten sodium. I was talking about, um, For the salt water batteries, the salt water batteries. Oh, the salt water I've batteries. Heard bad things about those. Those. They have, well, they the have their drawbacks. Aquian definitely, you know, shat the bed, guys. They did. They they made some intrinsic physical mistakes with the design and the structure of the cells. And that, you know, we just pulled one out a few weeks ago, and it literally had no electrolyte in it. It was all boiled off. The cells were 25 pounds instead of 37 pounds and just dry. And there's white crust everywhere. But... but they you couldn't think... be charged as high as they thought. They couldn't be discharged as strongly as they thought. Mm-hmm. And well, they allowed the cells to swell from those movements. And so there's a company called Green Rock out of Austria that has manufacturer in China and that they coordinated with, you know, another company that bought, you know, a big part of Aquian at the auctions when Kleiner Perkins, you know, called in their 
you know, their investment money to get it back. And so everything got, you know, bankrupted and sold off for, you know, about 11 cents on the dollar. Um, and they seem to have managed that mechanical physical issue and there's redesign in the cells and it, and in the, you know, I'm hearing a lot of good things from people that have installed them and installers, but there's not many people doing it compared to even, I think when Aquian was doing it in the U S cause it kind of blew up. For oh, these are, these are out in the field. This is a real, yeah, these are, yeah, these are saltwater aqueous batteries. Uh, when Aquian did it, they were the first ones to ever get a recycling award. They got a bronze because it was fully recycled, recyclable. You know, even the plastic, supposedly. We, you know, I don't really believe plastic <laughs> recycling happening the way anybody thought it ever was. It's in the news the past couple of days. Yeah, yeah. no, there's just been a couple of reports that plastic recycling was a complete failure. Yeah, yeah, so something like 10% is getting recycled. The majority of the weight of this battery, though, besides the salt water, was bamboo. And that's kind of one of the key things there is, hey, we can grow a lot of bamboo really fast. So there's something to that, which is also similar with the lithium sulfur battery because it needs graphene. And so they're actually today taking bio waste or not, you know, like compost from cities to make some of that graphene so that they have this waste streams that they're pulling from which is similar with the sulfur, because you can get that from so, places like the geothermal plant down here at the geysers, where they have to flocculate so all I this stuff out to make clean steam. I didn't listen to the whole show, but are you guys talking about using graphene as an anode or in a cathode? Is that what's going on here? Uh, I think the graphene is part of the anode. I'm, I'd have to look at it again. I don't have all these documents up. This, this stuff was kind of off the cuff. Um, sure. Yeah. Totally. So the lithium, I'm hitting you guys with lithium sulfur, questions. graphene silicon is the cathode and the anode, I believe, and the lithium sulfurs. And those are chemically, we know the math tells us that these are six times more energy, um, and you know per pound than what LFP or NMC could do for us. Oh, my. So, Which is yeah, already massively better than lead yeah. acid. That's got to be yeah. like 20 times lead acid. Yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting, because and the price points are definitely going for half the cost per kilowatt hour. So we're talking about a battery that gets even smaller and lighter mounted on your wall, but the backside of that is it's much more energy in a smaller place so that if there is really some catastrophic <laughs> failure, you're talking about a smaller little volcano that's maybe under more pressure. So yeah, you're so, not sure about their stability yet in terms of thermal runaway? Well, and They are considered a sure. lot, lot safer, but I don't know that we would call them intrinsically safe, which is what the nickel hydrogen battery is leading right into that intrinsically safe concept. And that was one of the benefits well, of hey, the saltwater no, aqueous battery no is you can, you can short the saltwater aqueous battery and it will not catch fire or meltdown. What were you saying? No less explosive element than hydrogen. That's for sure. <laughs> well, hydrogen gas and, and oxygen together. Sure. Correct. I was kidding. You've got to have oxygen. <laughs> well, making a dumb joke. My 40-year my, uh, my perspective on batteries, having been promised the miracle battery now 37 <laughs> times, 
and uh, only you know, and ninety nine percent of the time, them not coming to fruition so far is that uh, you know I wouldn't use anything till somebody else has been using it in the field for five years on a large scale general use basis. Yeah, and I waited I, I, at least that long with lithiums, and I was still considered an early adopter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, yeah, I, I waited e- even longer than you. Clients? What's that? You don't want a beta test on your clients? No, I don't. I don't. I don't want a beta <laughs> test on my reputation either. And and my my punchline when I would say this in my solar classes was, you know, when the miracle battery comes out, I'm going to miss the boat by five years, but at least I didn't go down with the boat the other 37 times. Correct. Totally. Hey, thanks for the call. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that oxygen-oxygen battery. The oxygen-oxygen battery. Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good night. Good night. That might suck all the oxygen out of the room. (laughs) Man, we are geeks. We are. And we have some geek listeners. Thankfully so. (laughs) Or there would be no audience whatsoever. 895-2448 if you want to bring down the geek bar a little bit and... Ask us a a more mainstream question. Yeah, or something really, you know, relevant to your life right now. You know, a problem yep. you're having with a system, whatever. Yep, yep. Troubleshoot that system. There's a call. Maybe that's what we got. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I'd like to know about the lithium-ion batteries and when they say how many cycles they have, you know, 5,000 cycles or whatever the number might be. Does that mean it, you bring them all the way down to like 20% or zero? And if you just cycle them a little bit down to 80s or 60s, you, you'll get more cycles. You'll get longer life out of You'll them get more cycles the less you cycle them. And in yeah, fact, they, they, a good battery will actually give you a nice logarithmic graph showing you, you know, how many cycles oh. you'll get depending on how deep you're cycling them. And, of course, nobody ever cycles them the same amount every time, so nobody ever falls onto that graph. But uh-huh. but the deeper, okay. you, the deeper you go, the less life you'll have in terms of cycles. But you may actually get nearly as much total number of amp hours or watt hours out of the battery because, you know, if you're going 80% down instead of just 20% down, you're getting four times as much per cycle, so you know it would be reasonable to expect it to be less than one quarter as many cycles as if you were cycling it at 20. At least that's the way the lead-acid world worked. I don't have a picture in my head of how the lithium-ion graph works. According to the warranty documents, that is true, Doug. Okay, and and there's a similar, there's another end of that issue is you don't want to go to 100% all the time. In fact, a lot of people don't want to go to 100% ever. Right. Yeah, we have batteries, you know, so one battery manufacturer says, yeah, you can take these batteries to zero. Mm-hmm. All the way down. And, and you, you can, look you, at the warranty document and you get a warranty for 2,000 cycles. Instead of 10,000? Instead of 6,000 when you only go to 20. All right. Uh, okay. You know, there's only a couple manufacturers out there that are claiming 10,000 cycles. You know, that's, that's mostly Blue Planet Energy and Sonin. 
very good batteries as far as what's available. The cell quality and, is and they have and they haven't been out there out there long enough to see if they really hold to that. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I would I would beg to differ with Blue Planet Energy because that's that is Sony is where their technology is all originally coming from. They sold to Murata. And Murata is spreading far and wide industrial containerized systems all over Eastern Asia and being very successful and that their their stuff is really, really, really good. And they're claiming 10,000 cycles, but that goes with, if you take them all the way to zero, then you get 8,888 cycles and, you know, in your warranty. So, you know, there does move back and forth. And the, and the, the, uh, the companies with good warranties have data recording equipment inside the battery. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to fool anybody. <laughs> not the case with lead-acid batteries. And then it also is key with, you know, how hard do you charge them, how hard do you discharge them, and what the temperature is, the maximum temperatures, up or hot or cold, and what the average temperatures are, and, and, are now coming into play with those warranties as and, well. Captain, I know your batteries, and they have no warranty. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that. <laughs> but, but I love your your non geek answer. Your very first answer was non geek, and it was like the less you discharge uh, these, more cycles uh, these you'll get. Ions, the 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 longer they'll last. Essentially, they'll the number of cycles mm-hmm. you get out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call that short more. cycling. Is what that's actually called short cycling. And, okay. And in in the lead acid world, you know, in the off grid way they were used, we found that it was most practical to, on a daily basis, cycle them. You know, fifteen twenty percent once in a blue moon, cycle them fifty percent, never go further than that. Whereas, and, unless you're dealing with an industrial battery that's and, built to and, go to eighty percent depth of discharge, twenty five hundred to three thousand. The times. bigger the cells, and also when you're talking about industrial batteries, where you need to cycle them hugely in as little weight as possible, they were willing to replace the batteries more frequently than an off-grid mm-hmm. person was. I mean, the the forklift or whatever that's running off of. L16s, um, but anyhow. all right, uh, all right, you guys, uh, geek on, geek on, man. geek on. I'm, I'm Thank really you, Captain. Happy with your answer. All right. Thank you. Short and sweet and simple was the first answer, I guess. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. We only have a minute. Oh, sheesh. Well, uh, it's a two-part question, and I was going to say, if you didn't have the attention to consider it now, please. I'm hoping everybody will consider it for the following week. So it is. Is it possible that the electricity that's being pulled out of the electromagnetic field, whether it's out of water or salt or the atom or anything else, is actually being missed and is actually supposed to be going somewhere else, like plants, animals, and humans? And the other part is, what what is happening to all this, uh, the magnetic part of the, dissected electromagnetic field. Electricity is what makes magnetism, and you don't pull electricity out of magnetism, although... That sounds like a theory to me. It is. It is. It is. uh, That's why I'm saying I'm hoping you'll actually consider it, because until scientists figured out how to to divide... Do you know know what electricity is? um, It's not being pulled out of anything. It's being pushed. 
Well, in a dam, I'm thinking it's being pulled out of the water. No, it's and not. Be, it's not being pulled out of the water. It's, it's well, it's being pulled out of the kinetic energy of the water that's moving. That's happening from gravitational pressure. It really doesn't have. It's it's not something coming from the water. The water is all still there, at the end of the cycle. Yeah, the water moves. It turns some blades. That turns a generator, and the generator uh, forces a magnetic field to be created because the magnets are turning. And then there is a current induced, and that is there when the electricity begins to move. And, and, and it's literally, like he said, being pushed out because of the motion of the water, not because there's anything being the, harvested from the water. Well, the, the thing that's being harvested from the water is some of its kinetic energy. So the water slows down. That's yeah, what the water's just, losing. Just to say again, and, kinetic and, is motion. And we got we got to say goodnight. We're we're at the top okay. of the hour. Sounds like a scientific theory to me. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Pretty, yes, it's definitely pretty, a scientific theory. Um, so we'll be back in uh, two weeks. And uh, coming up is Jamie Roberts with some fun spoken word and music. And interesting spoken word and music. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Good night, Chris. Good night, Mendocino. Good night, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.